the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please, please be seated. The reading this morning from the prologue of the Gospel of John is um, it, it is a uh, it's a thunderclap. In the beginning was the Word. I mean, it's it is a uh, it is it it echoes with the sound of the Big Bang. It echoes with the sound of the original creation of all things. And it, and John is proclaiming that the light, the light that was there at the beginning when the cosmos came into being, that that light, the light of God himself, is coming into the world to dwell intimately with us. John is addressing a mixed audience of, of learned Greeks, cultured Greeks on the one hand, and on the other hand, Greek-speaking Jews. And the words that he are using, just the few words in this first sentence of the prologue of the Gospel of John, they are, they are uh, monumentally powerful words in the beginning. The word there in Greek is a word that is a bigger word than the English word beginning. It's bigger than just the first thing in a, se- in a series of things. Um, Greek culture had developed the capacity with great minds like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle to ask really profound questions about the ultimate nature of reality. What they asked is the arche in, in this, this word beginning. The Greek word there is arche. What is, what is the arche? What is the fountainhead? What is the originating principle? What's at the bottom of all things? Well, St. John says, in the beginning was the word. Now the word, this, the word there, the Greek word there, is the word logos. And you know this word, right? Because you, when you were in school, you studied biology, you studied geology, you studied all the other ology. This is, this is the rational order of things, the truth about the world. And, and the Greeks perceived, they intuited, that there was a luminous, rational order to reality and that the, and that the light of this reason uh, was in the human mind as well and that the human mind could 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 investigate, could contemplate, and how how in in whatever um, chastened way, but in some real and profound way, could grasp the truth of things. The best idea of Greek philosophy was the idea of the logos, at the bottom of all things at the fountainhead of all things, undergirding all things, is the Logos. There are clues to this Logos, this luminous, rational order. Mathematics is a clue. Music is a clue. The inherent sense of right and wrong is a clue. At the bottom of all things, the most cultured Greeks would have said, there is a Logos. There is uh, the truth, and the pursuit of this truth, the 
the seeking out of this word, the being grasped by this word and grasping it to whatever degree that we can. This is what makes us uh, truly human. And this is the pathway of the truly human life. So St. John is addressing uh, Greeks who have not heard the word of the gospel, have had not heard about Jesus Christ, who don't know anything about the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jewish people. Nevertheless, he says to them, in the beginning was the word. Quite right, they say. Quite right. In the beginning, underneath everything, indeed there is the word. That's, that's the ultimate truth for which we were, we are seeking. Now, he would have immediately gotten their attention. They would have immediately perceived that he was talking about something of the first and greatest importance. The very nature of reality itself. Now, his, his, his Greek-speaking Jewish hearers, readers, they would have been alerted right away as well. They would have been grasped by something very profound and important. There were 70 rabbis who translated the Old Testament into the Greek language for the Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora in the ancient world. And they used this word logos, which means word, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's about the fundamental structure of reality. Uh, they used these rabbis who wrote the, who did the translation called the Septuagint, 70 rabbis, so it's Septuagint, right? They used the word logos to translate a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is the word debar. Now, one of the things that John is doing in his prologue is that he is giving us a commentary on the, on the, on the opening verses of the book of Genesis. Genesis, the beginning, right? In the beginning. We read the book of Genesis, and what do we read about in the beginning? God said, Debar, the word of God, everything that comes to be, comes to be through the effective, creative, powerful, fructifying word of God. God says, let there be light, and there's light. This light of reason you Greeks are seeking out and searching for. This is God's light. He says, let it be, and there is light. God says, let, let the things above be separated from the things below, and there's a fundamental structure of the universe. God says, let there be life, let there be growing things, let there be animals. And there is. God, God's word affects what God says. And then there's an interesting thing. Uh, Instead of an immediate creation, there's a project. Uh, the Orthodox theologian John Baer points this out. Instead of it being an immediate, there's a project. Let us make the man and the woman. Let us make them in our image. Let us make them capable of reflecting the creative, powerful word which the Bible then goes on to reveal to us is not just some abstract principle like the Greeks think, but is a personal word from a personal God. It is a word of love. It's a word of judgment. It's a word of grace. It's the word that speaks out from the burning bush. I am that I am. 
I'm the fundamental reality behind all things. It's the word that, who reveals himself as a word of uh, holiness, a word of righteousness, a word of mercy, a word of forgiveness, a word of long-suffering love. It's the word that God gives to the prophets of Israel to speak to his people over and over again, calling them to holiness and righteousness, calling them back into a loving relationship with their loving father. Now this word, this word, you Greeks will understand what I'm talking about, St. John says, the word that underlies all things, that is the very light of reason itself, that is luminously present in reality and that enlightens the human mind. That word, you know about it. You're seeking for it. You're searching for it. You value it above all things. That word is also the word of a personal, loving God. It's addressed to you. It's addressed to me. It's the word that's at the bottom of the creation itself. It's the, 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 the word that is the bottom of the whole rational order of the cosmos. It is the cosmos ordering word of personal searching, seeking, and sacrificial love. This word has become flesh and dwelt among us. It's an absolutely stunning thing that he's saying. He's taking the, he's taking the, the best thinking that the Greeks have, and he's taking the, the, the biblical revelation, and he's bringing these things together. And the coming together of these two things is the foundation of our civilization. There is a modern, a contemporary, well, at least since the 18th century anyway, myth that faith and reason are in some kind of competition with each other, that there's some kind of zero-sum game between them. That's contradicted by this first sentence in the Gospel of John. God is, is the God of reason. God is the God of the Logos. God does not do anything contrary to reason. Christian faith is not blind faith. It's not a blind conviction that's indifferent to the evidence of reality as it presents itself. For the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And the deep sense of right and wrong that cannot be extinguished from the human heart give testimony to our rootedness in this divine word. There is not a competition between faith and reason. One of the great Christian teachers of the 20th century was uh, John Paul II. And um, even in the very evangelical seminary where I taught, we studied his writings. And one of his writings is an encyclical called Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. And he said this, and he's, in saying it, he's summarizing the whole teaching of the historic church, that faith and reason are the two wings by which human beings ascend to God. Faith fulfills reason. Faith undergirds reason. The Greeks came to have a trust and confidence in the light of reason. A faith that the world was ordered, and that that order could be discovered, and that the the, that truth was, was an undertaking worth pursuing. And, and 
To them, John proclaims, that which you seek, that which you seek is fulfilled in this word of love who is coming to dwell with us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ the Lord. Faith and, and, and reason are not in competition with each other. They fulfill each other. Um, and one of the ironic things in our time is that not only does the church have to defend faith, the church has to defend reason. For at least the last 50 years, there's been a, there's been a, a fad, I guess you would call it, amongst the intellectual elite of the Western world that has caused us to lose, caused our society to lose a profound confidence in its own best thinking and its uh, undergirding faith. Generations now of college students have been taught that there's no universal truth, save for the truth, that there's no universal truth. And that at the bottom is not an arche, a fundamental principle, a fountainhead, a light of reason, a universal truth. At the bottom of all things is just the game of power. And if that is true, then what we begin to see in our societies, which is the war of all against wars, the war of all against all, nothing but, nothing but, nothing but violence, nothing but competition, which can be adjudicated by the appeal to nothing higher, that's bound to be the result. The church now has got to refit, not, has got to defend not only faith, not only trust, not only the reception of this word of love that comes to us and dwells among us in Jesus Christ our Lord, but the church has got to re defend also the logos, the reason, the fundamental truth of all things, that there is a universal truth, that there is a universal goodness, that there is a universal beauty, and that those things have come in person in Jesus Christ the Lord, who is the eternal word of the Father, through whom all things were made, and has come now, and this is the good news, in the flesh to complete that which was begun, to completely order and reorder us with the word of love. The prophet Daniel says, when, when men and women get the word of God in that way, when they, when they really grasp and are grasped by the word of God in that way, they will then shine like the stars in the morning. They'll shine with the original light that is coming into the world in Jesus Christ the Lord, the light which the world has trouble comprehending, but also the light which cannot be overcome. Faith and reason are not in competition with each other. They fulfill, fulfill each other. Um, a, an attitude of uh, blind conviction which is indifferent to any thinking is not the posture of Christian faith, not the posture of the great teaching tradition of the church. This is the posture of the totalitarian ideologies of the 20th century. And it is the posture of the sophomoric fads that hold sway in our time. There is a truth of things. And behind the truth is the personal word of God. 
and the word has become flesh and has dwelt among us, that the light that is in him might be in us, and that we might shine like the stars in the morning. So therefore, St. Paul says this. He says, he says, therefore, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And this is the way the King James translated. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Now here's a little, literal translation. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your worship according to the Logos. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.